Uh, those of you who have been around know that we give each Christmas a theme. Uh, apparently in 2011 it was that we gave uh, the theme, um, Do You See What I See? This year we've given the theme, Is There Any Room? I think it fits. Is there any room? No, no. Anyway, this is the third message on that title. We talked about us making room and what that can look like. And then Sarah Jane, if, who was here last week? Sarah Jane's message last week was pretty epic. You can go onto the podcast app or our website and hear it. She did a great job. Round of applause for Sarah. So great to be doing church with such talented people, isn't it? And you know what? It's we need to egg each other on so we all get better together, isn't it? And so brilliant. She's loved that. And she talked about making room and how sometimes that's inconvenient, but how often that releases a miracle. And uh, who doesn't want a miracle in their life? So listen to that. And today I just want to put another slant on the same theme. Is there any room? Because do you know what? It's good for us to make room, but who knows God's already made room. And I just want to unpack that a little bit because you're so important to God and I want to make you feel, sense that today and grasp that in a new way for you today. Uh, and I want to start here. Years ago, um, Sarah Jane, who we've just been talking about, worked for a very large company in, in the city in London. Uh, very successful. She held a good position. Uh, and a, a, a multi-million pound company. Um, my understanding is her direct boss, when they gave out their bonuses, he got two million pounds and bought himself a helicopter. You know, it's, it's that kind of company. Uh, Sarah Jane only got a Ferrari, so unlucky. <laughs> and uh, I still never got to drive it. But, uh, but at the, uh, I think it was at Christmas or the end of their year or whenever it was, they would have a yearly celebration, a party. And all of the work colleagues got invited and their partners. And these parties were just exactly what you'd imagine from a multi-million pound company. They had celebrity guests. You know, they had acts and, and dancing and singing. They'd have a proper posh venue. They'd have a five-star hotel. It was all expenses paid and everyone went there and got dressed up. Epic party! Who wants to go to that party? You know... I thought you were, who wants to go to that party? There we go. There you are. And, and they'd come back and they'd have story after story. Anyone who knows my brother Daniel, he's a bit like me. He's a little bit naughty. A little bit naughty. And so the owner of the company, a guy called Brian Winterflood, uh, and, and this is the kind of company that would make national news, would get into the newspapers, and uh, they did a little report on the party. And Daniel, in his wisdom and his naughtiness, thought it'd be hilarious to go up behind Brian Winterflood, the owner of the company, in the slow dances and feel his bum. Because that's what you do to someone like that, isn't it? Anyway, it made it into the newspapers. It said, who was the young man who fell Brian? Brian? What was his name? Brian Winterflood's bum. It was just like, Dan made the newspapers. Round of applause for Dan. So you want to be at that party. And uh, Dan loved it because, you know, the meal would go round and they'd have their little cognacs and stuff and it was all high-end stuff. And then his favourite bit would come. They'd come round and you'd get to select your choice of cigar. That's a proper party. And Dan's like, oh, yeah, I'll have a little cigar. Always regretted it in the morning because he's not a smoker. But, but it felt like a good idea at the time. But my point is, I wanted to go to that party. I never got, why did I, I never got an invite. I, they'd come back and I'd be all like, oh, I wish I could go to that party. But I never got an invite. Well, they wouldn't invite me, would they? I had no relationship with them. You know, why, why would that be weird? You know, I, I didn't get to go there. And the truth is, they didn't have any room for someone like me. Why would they? They didn't know me. They had no relationship with me whatsoever. But the truth is, when you do get an invite, there's a thought process you go on. And some of the thoughts you have are this. Do you like them? Come on, you've had that invite and you've looked at them and you're like, oh, no. 
And there's that politically correct, you, you know, you've got to respond. How long do you take to respond? Because you don't really want to go. And then you think, should I go? Because it's the right thing to do to go. But I really don't like him, but I don't want to say it. There's this, you've all been there. Come on, don't go all quiet on me. It's not just me who does that. But then there's those ones where you're obliged to go and you think, oh, I've got to go to this party. I'll get through it somehow. And, and you do. You know, there's the next question, what is it going to be like? You know, is it going to be lively? Is it going to be quiet? What do I wear? Who else is going? You've got all these thoughts around what this party invite's actually going to be. The next question is, what does it cost? Because it's going to cost you something, isn't it? All the men in the room know your wife's going to want a new dress. There you go. There you go. And if you've got my wife, new shoes and possibly a handbag, maybe a necklace. I just go in the old rags, don't worry. Feeling it, men. But there's, these, there's this thought process of what's this party going to be like? Do I want to go? Do I have to go? What's it going to You get the picture. That is the reality of what happens when you get an invite. Sometimes you get the invite and you're like, there's something that leaves. Yes! Can't wait to go to that. Bit like the Winter Floods party. Can't wait for that. You know? You want to be at some parties. And so if I bring this Christmas element, here's going to be a seamless link here. You're going to watch it right now. Christmas is when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, yeah? And it's God's gift. And that's why we give gifts to each other. It's reflecting God's gift to us, so we all give gifts. That's what we're doing. But he's more than a gift. You see, Jesus is also an invitation. Do you see what I did there? Slick, slick. See, Jesus is God's invitation to do life with him. So we have to ask ourselves the obvious questions then. What's it going to be like? What do I have to wear? You know, it frustrates me. And the reason we do church like this is because when I say I go to church, people don't picture this. What's it going to be like if I go to that church? I've had an invite. What's it going to be like? What are they going to wear? Well, Christmas jumper people, obviously. But you see what I mean? Everyone's got a filter. And so you've probably got a filter on what does it look like to have an invitation to life with God. Well, what does the Bible say about that? What's my experience of that? What's your experience of that? And the Bible talks in terms of kingdoms. And we, particularly as we live in the UK, understand kingdoms. We live in the United Kingdom. And the kingdom is where royalty rules, yeah? In our case, we have the Queen. 93 years old, the Queen, by the way. Go on, girl. I'd say round of applause for the Queen, but she'll never know we did it. Yeah, okay, okay. Let's not all get political and think she's trying to hold off so that, so that Charles doesn't get there. But anyway, that's something else. That's something. <laughs> Sorry. Quickly moving on. But we understand the idea of kingdoms because we live in a kingdom and we have a queen. The king of the kingdom in terms of where God is, is Jesus is king. And so when you enter this party in life, which the Bible refers to as a kingdom, it's coming into a place where you acknowledge Jesus is the king of my life and you enter the, king of the, king, the kingdom's king. You got that? So what's it like? If Jesus is the king of the kingdom and has come as a personal invitation into that kingdom, what's it going to be like? Well, there's a whole way, load of ways I could unpack that, but I just want to use this one verse here in Luke 13, verses 18 and 19, and just unpack it a little bit for you. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? Good question. What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Now, weird description, but this is good. Because the essence is, God's kingdom is a kingdom of increase. 
things always get bigger and always get better. So we start off small, little mustard seed, little tiny seed. See, it's a little mustard seed. But when you plant that little thing in the kingdom, God waters it because he's the king of the kingdom. And what happens is your life starts to sprout. Anyone relating to this stuff? Anyone starts saying, yes, Jesus, I want you in this. And life just starts to sprout. This is the description Jesus has given us. And what happens is something that's very, very small gets watered and gets healthy and is planted and grows. And it turns into something big. The mustard plant is one of the big, got the biggest leaves. And so what was very small turns into what is very, very big. So here's the principle that Jesus is showing to the people who are listening to him. The kingdom is like something that is small that becomes fruitful and healthy and grows big. And as it grows big, the seed is blessed. You are blessed. Your life gets bigger and better. But it's even more than that because it says the birds perched on it. You see, the kingdom is about you, but it's not about you. The kingdom is about your life exploding into life, getting bigger and better and healthy and good. But because it's so big and healthy and good, other people can take shelter under your life. And so the birds come under the branches and under the leaves and they can get out of the sun. They can perch there and take rest. And so the kingdom is a place where Jesus is the king. You're invited to plant your life there and your life takes off. And as it takes off, you can help other people because it's about you succeeding, but also not just about you succeeding. Do you get it? That's Jesus' description of the kingdom. So when Jesus comes and we're all sitting around there on Christmas Day opening our presents, let's not forget Jesus is the ultimate invitation to this kind of life. And for me, it's compelling. I don't know anyone who genuinely invited Jesus into the middle of their life who hasn't got better. Because the Bible says it's true, and my experience of seeing people's lives backs it up that it's true. My life says it's true. When I got real with Jesus, my life exploded. I love it. You know, you, you, many of you will know Sarah, my wife, and our marriage, and our family, and our home. We're blessed. And the amount of people look at us and go, oh, do you know what? It's not because we're good people. We're all right people. I'm quite good, it says. She's the problem. <laughs> but we're all right people. But because we're planted in the kingdom, God says, I will water it. And so my life just goes boom. And it's not because I'm brilliant, it's because he's brilliant. And suddenly people look at my life and go, I wish I had your marriage. I wish I had your outlook. I wish I had your health and your, pos- your, your positivity. But it's not that. What you need is Jesus. Because that's the only difference between me and anyone else. And so that's the invitation that Jesus made. So the question is, what do you say to the invitation? And everyone gets a choice on that. See, it's not just a kingdom of increase and growth. It's a, it's a kingdom of grace. Do you know what grace is? Grace is undeserved favor. You see, I didn't get an invite to stingy old winter floods party. They didn't invite me. But why would they? I didn't have a relationship with them. I didn't work for them or do anything with them. They literally didn't know me. Why would they invite me? Stupid. I don't deserve to be there. They haven't got room for me there. But grace is undeserved. I didn't deserve to be at that party. We all can see that. But grace is undeserved. See, even though we don't acknowledge God, even though we have no relationship with him, even though we've done nothing for him, we're still invited. Because it's undeserved favor. God's heart is, come in. Everyone's welcome. Let me say it again. 
Everyone is welcome. The church has gained this reputation by being a bit selective on who's in and who's out. God says, my grace is sufficient for everyone. You're all welcome. Come in. And we, church, need to reflect that. Can we equip as Essex be the church that invites all people? You know, we used to have a sign that says, everyone's welcome here. I belong to the gym. They thought long and hard about that title, the gym. And as you go in, yeah, yeah, what should we call it? The gym. And as you go up the stairs, they've got little slogans on the wall. And it says, this is the gym where everyone's welcome. All shapes, all sizes, all ages. all." And it makes you walk in and think, yeah, I belong in this place. Well, do you know what? You belong in the kingdom. Because you're welcome. No matter what your stance in life is, no matter what your history is, your background, your thoughts and feelings, the invite is open to all. The most famous verse in the Bible probably is John 3.16. And it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him will be saved and have eternal life. And so this is the thing. God made the first step. He loved the world. And when he says the world, he means me and you. He means people. He loved people so much that he made the first step. So it wasn't conditional on your response. He's already made the step. Can you see? Everyone is welcome. When I look at Jesus' life, bearing in mind he came to reflect the Father, that's exactly what Jesus did. He lived in a time where children were seen and not heard. And yet when the children came to Jesus, all the parents were like, no, no, don't leave them alone. And Jesus said, don't, let them come. Why? Because they're children and he loves them and they're welcome. Doesn't matter what the context is, doesn't matter what society says, they're welcome. Let them come to me. Jesus was probably the biggest women's rights activist in the history of the planet. At the time, women were nobodies. Do you know, women, if your husband at that time died and you didn't have a son, you became literally nothing. No income, didn't inherit anything, you just became a problem. Which is why God says, let's take care of the widows and orphans, because they're important to him. But when Jesus was on the planet, do you know what? In his traveling party, there wasn't just men, there was women. That was huge in its time. Do you know why? Because they're people and he loves them and they're welcome. He wants them in with him. It, it interests me that, uh, you know, the other end of this story is Easter when Jesus gets back up again. And he walks out and who finds him? The women. They were the ones. He, I think that was on purpose that God was highlighting women. And so in this time and season where Jesus was living, he was saying everyone's welcome. He wasn't just saying it. He was demonstrating it. There's that time when he meets the tax collector. And Zacchaeus, little dude. So sure he couldn't see over the crowd. So what does he do? He gets up a tree. Because Jesus is coming and he wants to see this Jesus. He's heard all about him. There's his crowd developed. Interesting, everyone wanted to be around Jesus. Didn't matter what their stance on life was. They were in, there was something about him. They wanted to be there. Church, come on, we need to reflect that. There was something about what's going on here that people want to be there. What is it? I don't understand it or I don't get it, but something good's happening here. Yeah, I believe we're doing quite well on that. You can give yourselves a round of applause because you're a great church. The tax collector got up and looked. Now, you need to know that he was a cheating tax collector. He was even the chief tax collector. And it was one of these situations, you know, you've earned 100 quid. It's 25% tax, we'll take that, but I'm going to charge you 35 and I'm going to keep a little 10 for myself. That's how he lived. Who knows? No one liked him. He was robbing people blind of their money unfairly. And here he was. Everyone hated him. What did Jesus do? He stopped. And said, Zacchaeus, in the tree, I see you. I want to have a lunch with you. Do you know why? Because everyone else hates you, but I include you. 
And the outworking of that is that one meal with Jesus and his heart was changed and he actually gave back more than he had taken, which means he was blessed and the whole community was blessed. Suddenly, everyone's like, Jesus is flipping epic. Every time he comes around, something good happens. Well, it's still the same today. When you invite Jesus into your world, good stuff happens to you and to others. There must be an amen somewhere. (laughs) I love it with the lepers. Now, at the time, leprosy is hugely contagious. If someone was diagnosed with leprosy, they were pushed out of community and had to live separate. But Jesus is walking along, and the lepers approach him and felt they could. Well, that says something right there about the heart of Jesus. They felt able to go to him. And they were compelled because they suddenly sensed when he rocks up, good stuff happens. And what does he do? He reaches out to him and says, go and declare yourself clean. Because at the time, they had to go to the synagogue and show themselves clean. And they got a certificate to say, I'm clean. And they did that. And they all made clean. Why? Because Jesus says, you might have leprosy. Society might have pushed you to the side. But I include you. You are welcome. And when you come into relationship with me, your life gets bigger and better. The mustard seed again. Can you see how it pans out? It's still true today. It ends with a thief on a cross. Jesus is hanging the Christian, whether you're a church person or not, you know the scene. There's Jesus on the cross in the middle. And either side of him, there are thieves and murderers who deserve to be there. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. It was trumped up, the whole thing. Everyone knows that. But he's hanging there with two people either side of him who deserve to be there. And one of them looks at him and says, will you remember me? And what does Jesus do? Don't be stupid, mate. You deserve to be here, you mug. Epping murderer. Idiot. No, no, no. He says, you'll be with me in paradise. Because the heart of Jesus is to include everyone, no matter what their history. The moment you open up to Jesus, a flood of life comes in. Come on, how about a little round of applause for Jesus right now? It, It amuses me as a church person. You might have gathered I'm a bit of a church person. It amuses me as a church person that the world hates religious people. And fair play. Religion's a load of, oh, so annoying, isn't it? Do you know what? The only people Jesus didn't like were religious people. You see, the trouble is, we talk about church and, and religion, but I don't follow a religion, I follow a relationship. Yeah. I have a relationship with God where it's not, I'm not compelled to live a certain way. I choose to live a certain way because I love him and he loves me. It's a relationship. It's so different from religion. Religion's a bunch of rules that you have to live by in order that you might just touch the heart of God. God's not interested. When Jesus walked the planet, he went up to the religious leaders, and do you know what he called them? Brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes. You think you're so flipping good judging everyone, but I can see straight through it. Because who knows, they all stuffed up too. And so if you're someone who hates religion, Jesus did too. They're the only group of people he consistently said no. But everyone else was like, come to me. So if anyone calls me religious, are you religious? I have to say no. I'm not religious. I lead a church, but I'm not religious because I have a relationship with my father who loves me and it makes my world better. And I hope out of that I can help make your world better. Can you see how this relationship works? Here's this one. I'm going to use a really unpopular word right now, but hopefully it'll be okay. Uh, Romans 5 verse 8 says this. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, controversial, Christ died for us. See, the thing is, sin is just one of those, it's, it's, a, it's not a popular word, it's not a favourite word, is it? It's up there with the top ten least favourite words. And, and I think we've misconstrued it sometimes, because when you say someone's a sinner, you instantly in your mind think they're the worst person in the world. 
they are evil. Do you know what I mean? I'm not over-egging that too much. I'm like, they're a sinner. They're awful. But the word sin doesn't mean that. The word sin actually means missing the mark. That's what sin means. So what that actually says is, while we were still missing it, while we weren't getting it, while we were missing the mark, God made his move. It doesn't depend on your response to this. I'm going to make my move anyway because you're welcome. I've made room for you. Sin is actually missing the mark. It doesn't mean you're a horrendous person. Can I speak to the wives right now? Give me a wave if you're a wife in the room. Round of applause to the ladies. You love your husbands, right? It's a good, good opportunity to nod right now because your husband might be sat next to you. And that could get very awkward. Amanda, nod. Thank you. Thank you. Well, well played. Saved you there. Saved you there. See, I'm saving marriages already. Is your husband perfect? They responded quicker there, didn't they? <laughs> Proper quick response there, wasn't it? Especially from my mum. Because <laughs> the reality is, men, much as we think it sometimes, we miss the mark. We do. You know, I don't know how you work it in your house, but we have... I have jobs, so I have stuff I have to do. One of my jobs is putting out the rubbish. Can anyone relate, men? Is there anyone? That's one of my jobs. And it's not necessarily blue job or pink job or any of that. It's just that's what I do, right? And, and, and who knows, sometimes I forget. And, and our, our bin man, who happens to be Kenny, by the way, come on, yes, yes, yes. They sometimes turn up at two minutes past 7 a.m. What unearthly hour is that to turn up? And I'm laying in bed, and you hear the, and I'm like, oh, brilliant. And I'm up, and I've got my gown on, and boxers on, and running down. I've got, got Josh's shoes on, my hair's out here, bedhead. I'm running there, and just, as, just to get it out there as I see them drive off. Who knows? I've missed the mark. You know, there, there are other times, you know, men, we do it all the time that we say we're going to be somewhere at a certain time and we get sidetracked because the football's on or we're at the pub or we're hanging out with the lads or we got held up at work. And we said we'd do this and then we don't end up doing this. And wife stand there going, for crying out loud, not again. And you tell, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. But the reality is you didn't do what you said you were going to do. You missed the mark. Which means, Bible language, that's sin. So it doesn't mean you're a horrendous person. It just means you miss it sometimes. Wives, even though your husband's missed the mark, do you still love them? Do you though? Yes, there you are. Do you know what that is, wives? That's grace. Because even though they stuff it up, you love them anyway. That's grace. So you have a measure of grace. By the way, men, I've used us as an example. I could easily flip that, couldn't I? All the men are like, yes, amen. Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, oh, if I just told you about her, the things you don't know about my wife. Oh. <laughs> but because they missed the mark and you love them anyway, that's like, yeah, you missed it. But you know what? I love you too much to worry about that. And you so say, this right there is a reflection of the heart of God. We missed the mark, but he loves us anyway. And you see, grace is undeserved favour. God isn't after perfection. He's after relationship. And you see, what happens is when you get into a relationship with him, it just gets a bit outrageous. Grace is outrageous. God's grace is outrageous. 
We just don't deserve it. You know, there are people in this word, in this world, whose favourite cuss word is Jesus Christ. And you know what? He says, okay, I might be a swear word to you, but I love you anyway. Because I want to make your world better. There are people in this world that blame God for all kinds of situations and stuff that had nothing to do with him. We live in a fallen planet where people have opportunities to do all kinds of stuff. All kinds of sickness and disease is man-made by lifestyle. And yet when stuff happens, it's God's fault. And it just wasn't. And we're blaming him. And he's like, okay, I get it. But if you'd let me in, we could heal this thing up. And my door's open for you anyway. You know, people are shocking to other people. And the great thing I love about my God is when you look through his word, he uses great language about people. He calls us his treasure. You, even the men, I know it's a bit female language, isn't it? Well, I'm his treasure. But come on, men, we understand treasure. It might be your car or your home or, or your relationship. Something you treasure is important to you. That's how God feels about you. Even the men. And I say that on purpose because sometimes in church life we have female language and all the men are sitting there like, oh, flipping, so feminine. But you know what? Jesus was fully man. No one messed with him. They tried to push him off a cliff, Jesus. They got so upset with him because they couldn't get him. And you know what he did? He did this. <laughs> no, 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 he didn't do that because Jesus is solid. There's people talk about namby-pamby Christians. Well, no, if we're namby-pamby, we're not, we're not following Jesus. Because Jesus had a mob, an angry mob, coming to push him off a cliff. And do you know what he did? He turned around, he looked him in the eye, and he walked straight back through. Come on, then, if you think you're hard enough. See, that's my Jesus. There is no namby-pamby about being a Christian. Because if you want to argue, let's go outside right now. But you hear my point. God is after relationship, not perfection, because his grace is big enough. His invite is open to everyone, even though we don't really deserve it. He loves us anyway. See, God's made room. He's made room for me, and he's made room for you. And Jesus is the invitation, and everyone gets to say yes or no. And for me, and I appreciate I have a slant on this, for me, it's a no-brainer. Why would you say no to your life getting better? It's proven time and time again by stories in this room and by what the word says. God includes you. And here's the thing with grace. It just keeps going. It's just like sometimes I look at my life and think, wow. You know, I say yes to Jesus. You say yes to Jesus. We invite him into our life. We call ourselves a Christian. And then the very next thing we do is mess up again. Give me a hand a wave if this week you haven't messed up somewhere in your life. See, we do. But you know what? We mess up and we look Jesus in the eye and he says, my grace has got this. Come on, let's just keep going. It's all right. And we beat ourselves up and beat ourselves up and beat ourselves up. And all the while, Jesus is saying, my grace has got this. Stop worrying yourself. We're okay. Come on, let's just go and do some good stuff. And it inspires people to live better. James 4 verse 6 says this. But he gives more grace Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, when I look at my life and I, I look at Jesus and I look at the times I stuff up, I say the wrong thing, I do the wrong thing, I have the wrong attitude, I'm a grumpy old toe rag sometimes. And I look at it and Jesus says, it's all right, Barry. Come on, I've got this. Inside, I'm like, wow, just wow. And you know what? I'm humble enough to realize I get it wrong. It's only the proud who think they're never wrong. 
which is obviously not us. And so I'm humble enough to say, I got it wrong. And what does the Bible say? When you're willing to say, I get it wrong sometimes, his grace extends even further. It's just like, wow. And what it does, it inspires me. It causes me to want to be more patient, more loving, more generous, more inclusive, less judgmental. You know, it inspires me. And watch this. This is so important. Without even realizing it, I miss the mark less because I'm becoming a better person. And so as I get include Jesus, I can go on this journey of a relationship, but it's not that I suddenly become this super saint, although God views me that way because he views me through Jesus, but you don't. You look at me and think you mess up all the time. But I go on this journey of saying, wow, every time I get it wrong, you inspire me just to do a little bit better. And as I start to do a little better, I miss the mark less, so I become more like Jesus. The Bible talks about it like this. He says, the Bible says he's committed to taking you from glory to glory. That means God loves you just as you are right now. If nothing changed, he loves you, end of. But he loves you so much, he's willing to go on a journey to make you and your life better. From glory to glory to glory to glory. We're going to start a new decade. I'm really trying to challenge myself to think in terms of 10 years. Where could my life be? my family be in 10 years? Where could this church be in 10 years? And I know my best way to get to the best position is to stay close to Jesus because it will cause me to be a better version of myself and therefore succeed at more. Are you with me, church? He committed to go from glory to glory. And it gets even better than that. You see, because when I think of my mortality, and I know it's sad, people. I'm going to say something sad right now. Brace yourselves. The day is going to come when I die. <laughs> and welcome to my son. <laughs> Do you know when you prime the moment, you get it to a place where you want to, and your son just boots it right out of the park? The day is going to come, Josh, when I pass. He says that, but he's going to be sad. Is when I'm going to pass. But I love this in terms of making room. John 14 verse 2 says this, Jesus speaking. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a room for you? You see, relationship with Jesus, which is ultimately what we're celebrating at Christmas, makes my life better now. Like the mustard seed, I go from someone who's small to something that's big and healthy and blessed and protects others and helps others. All of that's happening now. But I'm going to die one day, and I can die in full confidence because Jesus says, even after this, I've got room for you. And so I hope you're a little bit sad when my day comes, but I hope you can actually celebrate the things God did in and through me and know that and know that and know that I'm in a better place. For absolute sure, my absolute confidence is I can live in this life knowing I have a future. Because Jesus said, I'm making room for you now, and I'm making room for you then. And my goal isn't for then. My goal is to be the best person I can be now with confidence that I have a then. Do you get it? And Jesus is the only way. The only way. The only way you're ever going to live in confidence for that. And it's compelling. It's compelling. So his grace has created room for me and you now, and it's created room for me and you then. So I'm wondering, at this Christmas time, and I hope I've presented something of the gospel well to you, that you would stop and think. 
that this is your life. It's not a trial. It's it. What do you think on these things? Have you heard Jesus put a cross like that? Does it move you? Does it not? Because the free will is yours. You say yes or no. No offense either way from me. But I know, I know, I know. And my life says it. That it's just better with Jesus. It's just better with Jesus. So when you give your gifts, and I hope you've all got yourself some lovely gifts, as you open it, I hope you just might pause a moment and say, thank you, Jesus, that you were the gift. And it opened up my world. Amen. Could I pray for you? Could you stand up if you're willing? I just want to invite you to close your eyes. It's kind of a posture of prayers. You know, no rules in this house. Don't close your eyes if you don't want to. But I think it gives you a moment. And it also gives the person next to you a moment. Because this is life. This is real. Father. Lord. Father, I want to thank you for everyone here today. I don't know everyone, but you do. Your word says you crafted us in the womb. That we're wonderfully made with reverence. You said that you put hopes and dreams in us and the ability to achieve those hopes and dreams. And we celebrate at Christmas this time when you made room. Gave us an invitation to life, kingdom life. So Lord, I ask that you just stir every man, every woman, every child here right now just to consider. Lord, I want to speak into everyone's Christmas here. It can be a difficult time. I want to ask your blessing over every household, over every family represented here, that they would know that something changed because they came and met with you today, that their experience of Christmas would be better because they made room for you. Lord, I ask for hopes for 2020 and the whole decade. Lord, that you'd inspire us to think long-term, that we'd make good plans, that we'd put them into process. But Jesus, as for me and my house, we will serve you. We will put you central, and I know it will be better. Just with every eye closed, I just always want to give opportunities. Is there anyone here today who says, yeah, today's the day I'm deciding?